Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Matthew 28, 1 to 15. Listen for what God is saying. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he has been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given this message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. He, they came and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going to Galilee. They will see me there. Now as the women were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. They met with the elders and decided to give a large sum of money to the soldiers. They told them, say that Jesus' disciples came at night and stole his body while you were sleeping. And if the governor hears about this, we will take care of it with, with him. So you will not have to, nothing to worry about. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were told. And this report has spread throughout all Judea to this very day. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning again. As I said before, my name is Emily McGinley, and I um, have the great joy of serving as pastor here at Urban Village Hyde Park Woodlawn. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for this day where we get to come together and sit in the mystery and the wonder and the beauty and the joy and the fear and the excitement of resurrection, of your power to bring what was once dead back into life. Help us as we sit in this celebration and in the joy to remember and hold also what the cost of that joy has been over these last few days. And help us in this moment to clear away the clutter in our minds, those things that would distract us and keep us from um, really hearing you clearly, uh, to, that you would clear away all of those things and help us to be present in this space, to be challenged, to be loved, to be broken and to be reconciled and healed back together um, for your purposes in this world. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Now, some of you know that um, I spent a year in Thailand teaching English after graduating from college. And while I have lots of things I could say about these experiences, one of them being that fried crickets are actually pretty tasty, um, as I reflected on the idea of resurrection, I recalled a man at the school where I taught. He was Swiss, but he was visiting from a missionary school in Taiwan. And in the course of our conversation, we kind of shared a little bit about what brought us to our current work. For him, it was pretty straightforward. He needed a job, and this school needed someone to shape their English department. I shared about the importance of faith in shaping my life and how my desire to grow as a Christian led me to where I was. And after I finished, he paused, leaned in, and said, now you seem like an A1 kind of person, pretty smart capable, bright. You don't really believe this stuff, do you? And I have to admit, I was flabbergasted. Probably more than I should have been, but at that point, I'd been so saturated in evangelical communities and narratives that it never occurred to me that there would be people who, who would show up and didn't believe. But it's totally understandable with this distance, right, that people wouldn't believe in this story. This story, right, of a man who had died and was really totally dead for a few days, but then somehow came back to life in the very same body, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> because the, the Christian claim is that this isn't just a good story. Jesus wasn't a White Walker or even Jon Snow, and I promise that'll be my only <laughs> Game of Thrones reference. He was legit a real person who walked this earth, whose body was really dead, and then came back to life, right? No special effects, no CGI, no magic tricks, just good old-fashioned, dead as a doornail, and then, well, not, right? And it is on this central claim of the Christian faith, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, where the division between people who think Jesus was a good dude, worth emulating, and people who inexplicably and frankly illogically embrace this claim with fullness find their divergence. It doesn't make sense, I'll give you that, right? And how that nonsensical truth intersects with your life greatly determines the reaction of those who are confronted with it. Here, let me put it another way, because here in our passage today, we see exactly how these two paths, these two different experiences of resurrection really show up and what it does in people's spirits. Beyond revealing the irony that a gang of soldiers who presumably were armed and trained for deadly combat were frozen with terror, while two nobody women who had come around for a look-see maintained their wits about them. Beyond this, right, <laughs> what follows is a tale of two power structures or two kingdoms. These soldiers with their smart uniforms and state-of-the-art warfare technology wearing the imperial insignias of Rome, representing one of the world's greatest superpowers at the time. They are terrified. And after the angel leaves, they go not to their uh, military commander, but curiously, to the temple leadership, to religious leadership, which brings up all kinds of questions, right, about church and state and power and shared interests, collusion, if you will. The soldiers report to the religious leaders and present their itchy palms, right? A few of these leaders head back to the back um, and see what's left of the tithes that can finance closed mouths. They had only calculated roughly 30 pieces of silvers for this special project, and at this point, they have completely blown their budget. But you got to do what you got to do, right? You can't have a story of that leftist radical Jesus coming back to life floating around. Can you imagine the kind of damage that would do to their corner on the God market? So they hand these fellows a bag of cash and offer up a redacted story for them to report out. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep, which then you realize why these soldiers got paid so much, because the story makes them look pretty incompetent, right? If they are guards asleep at their post, and if in their sleeping they can sleep through someone rolling away the stone from a tomb, what kind of guardsmen were they anyway, right? 
And if these temple leaders had a chance to look at Matthew's manuscript before it went to print, perhaps it might have looked something like this. <laughs> Thanks to my friend Shauna for posting that. But that's not what happened. In contrast to the soldiers' terror, the women's fear was paired with excitement. What is fear plus excitement? Exhilaration? Hope? Whatever it was, they had it. And as they headed back, who do they run into but the man in question himself, right? And the first thing they do when they fall is they grab hold of Jesus' feet, which might seem weird, except when you're not quite sure if you're dealing with a ghost or a real person, a pretty good strategy is to touch them, right? And here in this brief exchange, we catch a glimpse of the other kingdom. Greetings, Jesus says, like they just ran into each other at Target, right? <laughs> Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will, there they will see me. And in this short exchange, what we see is a dramatic departure from the dealings at the temple. There, religious leaders in damage control mode paid powerful soldiers to stay silent. But here, inconsequential women were told to speak up, and even more than that, be the first to participate in the new reality of resurrection. Because you see, in this, Jesus invites these women to be agents of reconciliation. Look again. It's so brief. I wouldn't fault you if you didn't catch it. Jesus says, Go and tell my brothers. Tell my brothers. Now why, how in the world does Jesus end up calling the disciples brothers? Judas sold him out not four days ago. Peter denied him the very next day, not once, not twice, but three times in front of him. And everyone else deserted him. Brothers? Yes, brothers. This is the other kingdom. A rule of law marked by compassion instead of coercion, financed by grace rather than greed, where power takes shape in the form of reconciliation rather than retribution, and an economy that is built on relationships instead of slave labor. To bring about this new kingdom, we have to turn just about everything we've ever learned about living and surviving in the world inside out. It's a lot of work. It would be much easier to simply reinterpret it all in ways that don't demand so much from you, right? You figure out how to do just enough to get by, and in that you begin to build your own alternative kingdom, an alternative church maybe, a sham church where the words mean nothing and subversive rituals are reduced to self-affirming play-acting. A colleague of mine, Reverend Hannah Bonner, spent many years seeking justice for Sandra Bland, the young woman from Illinois who was arrested for a traffic stop in Texas and the next day found dead hanging in her jail cell. For years, Reverend Hannah worked with activists and organizers, as well as Sandra's family, to bring local authorities to accountability. And she shared recently a reflection about her time there. She said, I'm contemplating that the struggle for freedom has always been a theological one. Those on the other side have for several hundred years or longer been those who claim the same God but who preach a theology that oppresses, that enslaves, that condemns, that controls as if it were not for freedom that Christ set us free. This has always been a struggle, whether the church bears a cross or wears a crown, whether the collar I wear is a sign of power or of humility, whether God is about the business of giving more power to the powerful or setting at liberty the oppressed. It is only after being out of Texas for almost two years now that I can look back and finally let myself feel the danger we faced every day. Sitting in the sights of the Klan, we lived an experience that most people thought ended decades ago. 
We were in a struggle over what it means to be Christian, what it means to be Methodist. The ones who would have liked to take our lives would have called themselves Christians too. We probably heard the same scriptures and sang the same hymns, but the world we were creating, working to create, revealed very different understandings of who God is. In his life, by his death and after his resurrection, Jesus injected a new possibility into the world that the way things have been is not the way things have to be. And he poses a question to us today. Will the church, will we be a church of the crown or of the cross? The crown demands that you increase its power, its worth, its dominance. The cross calls you brother, family, even as and perhaps especially when you are broken and bleeding, shame-filled and regretful, honest and vulnerable, calls you completely loved and wholly welcomed with all of that. The crown demands that you bend the knee, finding its power in your submission. The cross is made more complete by our humility, our compassion, and our commitment to try and try again. What kind of church will we be? What kind of world will we build? Resurrection is a fearful and exciting reality. Some of us get caught up more in the fear than the excitement, fear of what we'd lose if we opened ourselves to a new story of how God moved, fear of where we'd end up on the balance if our bad deeds came to account. And all this fear, all this fear, it's so easy to be consumed by it, to be penned in, to have our imaginations narrowed, boxed in. It's easy to be so consumed that we lose sight or forget or feel just in too deep that we dismiss the new possibilities that resurrection introduces into our lives. What we have access to in the resurrection is so much more than colored eggs or seersucker or brunch. It's more than wars fought in the name of God, missionary zeal that fetishizes Western sensibilities or a cheap, printing a cheap belief statement on a dollar bill. What we have access to in the resurrection is a value structure and a power that ordains two uneducated women as the first preachers of the gospel. A reconciliation which turns fractured friends back into brothers. And what we have in Jesus is an invitation to do likewise, to practice more courage, to be more critical, to embody more compassion to build that second kingdom and bring about a world where resurrection is not a one-off miracle, but happening all around us. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for the power of resurrection, what it invites us into, the fear that it induces, but also the excitement that it brings forward into our imaginations. Help us to be a people of resurrection. Help us to be a people who build your kingdom come who pursue your will be done on earth in flesh and blood as well as heaven in spirit. Help us to be builders of that kind of kingdom and help us to be freed, liberated from any fears that would hold us back so that we might practice a kind of life-giving courage that you introduced so long ago and that we celebrate today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.